going gonna to start reading in, in the first verse, but uh, we're going to focus in on this morning, verses 6 and 7. But starting in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes to the power of the Holy Spirit, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul, Paul begins, or in our, our, uh, our passage, Paul begins with the word, therefore, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Whenever you come to a therefore in scripture, you need to look why it's there. Why is therefore there? It denotes that Paul is making an argument. This is this is the conclusion based on what he said previously. So in order to get the full force of of what Paul is saying, you have to understand what came before it. So we'll do a quick review of the first paragraph. Paul says that his suffering for the Paul's suffering for the church's growth and his struggle for their maturity. Paul wants the Colossians to know his struggle. That he his struggle, his labor, his suffering has been for the church and specifically for the Colossians. He wants them to grow in maturity. He wants Christians to know Christ more fully. He wants them to have assurance as the Christians grow in their knowledge of Christ. Not just an academic knowledge. Not just if I were to take a test or a Bible quiz, I'd get all the answers right. But a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. As they grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ and their relationship with Jesus, their assurance in Christ grows as well. And this is all based upon the fact of who Christ is. He says that Jesus Christ is the full wisdom and knowledge of God. So because of who Christ is, that he is the one in whom all the wisdom and all the knowledge of God resides. He is the preeminent, supreme being in all the universe for whom and through whom and by whom all things were created What's Paul's conclusion? His conclusion is, therefore, because of all of this, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, received involves commitment. And, excuse me, I'm struggling with the cold myself here. The Colossians were being persuaded by false teachers to look elsewhere for their spiritual needs, for their spiritual fulfillment. The false teachers were coming in and trying to persuade them that Jesus Christ was not 
um, the supreme being. That he wasn't creator of all things. He was just one of many. And so they, are, they needed to look elsewhere. They needed to find spiritual fulfillment in their life in other areas, specifically their set. So Paul, speaking to the Colossians who are in, in this uh, time of, of tribulation, this time of, of trial, with the false teachers coming in, he says, as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. Meaning there is a commitment on our shoulders to remain committed to Christ. And so the question remains, speaking to Christians then, how did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? If we are to walk in Christ, walk with the Lord as we received him, then we have to understand how did we receive Jesus? What was it that we received Jesus as the Lord? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple, though extremely complex. You had faith. If you received Jesus as Lord, you received him through faith. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So as you first believed, so continue to live in him. Paul also says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And here, here's the main part that I want you to get this morning. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a sense here of Paul telling the Colossians and us to remain in Christ. This commitment combined with faith, we are to keep seeking him, keep trusting him. We're to keep our relationship with him alive and well through faith, looking to him to fulfill our spiritual desires, our spiritual longings, our spiritual needs. So Paul doesn't want us to get dragged down in the mud by believing um, there is truth or wisdom or knowledge outside of Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who made all things. If something is true, it is true because he created it. He holds all truth. He is the greatest. He is the biggest being in the universe, for lack of a better phrase. He is the sustainer of life. And it says that at his side are pleasures forevermore. So Paul wants us to continue in the path that we've been taught. Don't be led astray by false teachers. Don't let them come in and persuade you by fancy-sounding arguments or promises of a richer, fuller life. Jesus holds the greatest wealth in the universe. He satisfies the souls. He does not cast out any who come to him. Just as you began your spiritual journey in Christ through faith, so continue 
living out your Christian life with Christ through faith. You know, placing our faith in Christ isn't kind of a one and done thing. You don't just do it once and then it's over and you can kind of coast the rest of the way. It's like if we were to approach marriage as you say your vows once at the altar and then you just kind of coast the rest of the time. That's just the beginning, isn't it? When you say your vows, you walk down that aisle and you say your vows and you are beginning a journey for the rest of your life to live out the commitment you just made. I work with a man um, periodically. He doesn't actually work with me on a daily basis, but he comes and helps out every once in a while um, with his particular skill set. And he's been married multiple times. And he, the, the woman who is his wife now, they don't live together. And in fact, they don't even live in the same town. And it's not just because of work, although that seems to be the excuse. It's because they just like life better that way. Their relationship works better when they're apart and they see each other occasionally than if they were living together day in and day out. It seems to me that while that may be easier, that's not a fulfilling marriage. That is not what we would define as a marriage. You're more or less boyfriend-girlfriend. Because marriage implies that you live together with the person. You're doing life together with them. You go through all things, sickness and in health, good times and bad times. Whatever the world may throw at you, you are in this together. And living under the same roof, sharing the same uh, house, the same bed, the same room, the same food, that is all a picture of the oneness that takes place in marriage. And so I think about that and I wonder, is that how we sometimes view the Christian life? We, we made our commitment to Christ, we have faith in him, and we connect with him every once in a while. But really, life is just kind of easier if we keep him over in the other room and we only get together when we need him. The Bible talks about the church being Christ's bride. We have been made one with Jesus. And in that oneness, we go through everything together. The good times, the bad times, the sickness, the health, when we offend him, we work on this relationship together. We are to live with Jesus. We are to go throughout life living with him, like in the same house, together. Marriage is one of the most beautiful pictures of God's relationship with us. Because he is fully committed in a covenant with his people. And we, in return, are in a covenant relationship with our Lord. So placing our faith in Christ, when Paul says, as you received him, you received him through faith, so walk in him, you walk in him, you walk with him and in him through faith. So let us keep in mind as we go throughout our week that we are living with Jesus in a similar way that you live with your family. 
And then in verse 7, Paul gives four characteristics to describe our continual walk with Christ. To kind of make it the picture more vivid. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So these, these um, four characteristics that describe our, our faith with our walk with Christ um, have a, uh, well, the first two are, are, um, are metaphorical, I guess you could say. And I don't know what version of, of the Bible you, you generally read, but I use the ESV, and to be honest with you, it didn't do a good job in translating uh, this part of the Greek. And it's not because I'm a Greek scholar. Um, it's just because that's, that's what I came to find out. The, the NASB, the New um, American Standard Bible, I think does a better job. So I'm going to read the, the first two metaphors in the NASB. And I think you'll be able to see the difference or hear the difference. He says, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Let's explore the differences that we find there. The first metaphor is having been rooted. Having been rooted in Christ. A good root system gives a plant strength from the elements and it gives it the plant plenty of nutrients for a healthy, productive life. So if it weren't for the good root system, you could go to an oak tree and practically push it over. The root system grounds it. It makes it sturdy. It makes it so the wind can blow and the tree will bend, but it'll come right back. It won't break. And in fact, I remember, I still remember this, this picture of driving through the, the hills of Kentucky and there was an ice storm and we were driving through and you could see the trees and the, like the top, I don't know, say fifth of the trees. It, it's like someone just took an ax and went through and just chopped off all the tops of those trees because the ice was so heavy and the wind blew so hard that the trees bent and the tops broke off, but the trees didn't break. They stood their ground. If it weren't for the root system, a weak wind could come and knock over a mighty oak. A dry spell would cause it to wither and die. I want us to notice in this phrase, having been firmly rooted, that it is past tense. It is past tense. Paul knew the Colossians teacher Epaphras. Paul himself had never met the Colossians, but he knew very personally Epaphras, who was essentially their, their apostle, the man who came to them and, and was their missionary, who planted the church there and taught them about Christ. Paul had confidence in their roots. Also, I want you to notice that Paul makes the Colossians the receivers of the action. Did you notice that? They have been planted. They have been rooted in Christ. In other words, they did not plant themselves. They were the receivers of the action. They were reliant upon someone else to plant them and care for them as, they, as their root system went down into Christ. We look back at Epaphras, 
who planted this church and gave them their start. And this point makes clear the vitality, the importance of teachers, leaders, and pastors in the church. That we know our Bibles, that we walk with the Lord, that we're actually called by God to lead, to preach, and to teach. And this is a sobering message for myself and should be for all who are aspiring to ministry. But this point also applies to all of us because no teacher or preacher is perfect. And I, for one, have changed my mind on many things. I've studied scripture and have come to realize I don't think what I was taught back when I was, you know, 15 or 16 is quite right or there are things I'm even changing my mind about that I learned in seminary. They're not big things. There may be little things, but it's important that we grow. As we mature, we need to look back over the teachings we kind of took for granted and re-examine them by looking at Scripture and studying it with new eyes and maturity. As you grow, you're not the same person you were five years ago. Your perspectives have changed a little bit. You've grown in wisdom. You've grown in knowledge. And so you go back and you, you re-examine some truths you may have taken for granted. Some of us have received faulty teaching, and we need to replant ourselves in the more pure and nutritious soil of the scriptures. I knew uh, another man who I was talking to recently, actually, and and we're talking about um, kind of changing your opinion on different things that you you knew once, and, and he said that he grew up in a church that taught that Jews and Africans, African Americans were cursed by God. This is a Southern Baptist church. And he grew up believing that, just took it for granted, like this was, this was the right way to believe. But as he matured, as he read Scripture, and through the power of the Holy Spirit opening his eyes to what Scripture actually says about race, he changed his opinion. He, he replanted himself. Not completely, not shaking off everything, but he recognized this, this one teaching that I was taught when I was younger actually goes against God's word. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, working in his life and teaching him, he changed his opinion. And so when we are rooted in Christ, the rich soil of scripture, we're rooted in Christ and the rich soil of scripture we learn about him, we trust in his promises, we grow, we have the strength to weather the storms, and we can live spiritually healthy lives and produce God-honoring fruit, even in times of tribulation. Psalm chapter one, David writes, the person who delights in the law of God, in the word of God, says that man is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. We should be thankful for the past teachers and pastors and leaders we've had, those who've mentored us, those who've taught us, our Sunday school teachers, that we've been planted firmly in the Word of God. And yet at the same time, as we grow in maturity, as we learn more about who Christ is and are exposed to other teachings, we go back to God's Word, and we test it. And we look at the soil. Is this, is this giving me the right nutrients to live the God-honoring life that I want to live? 
The next metaphor, the first metaphor was, was soil is agricultural in nature. The next metaphor is being built up in him. Paul now uses a metaphor of construction. And once again, we see the Christian in the position of receiving the action. They're the ones being built up. They're not building themselves up. They are being built up. But unlike having been rooted in Christ, this being built up is in the present tense. It occurs day in and day out. It's ongoing. It happens as we live our lives. This imagery is teaching us that as God has sovereignly rooted us in Christ, he's now working to build us up as well. God, through his word, his church, the relationships he has us in, the circumstances we find ourselves in, is causing us to grow in faith in our relationship with Christ. And honestly, this should encourage us. I know it does me. And sometimes I feel as if I'm stumbling through life, failing and falling over and over again. God says, you might be failing, Ryan. You might be falling. You might feel like you're stumbling. But I am building you up in Christ. Board by board, nail by nail. I'm building you in Christ. Even if it's just a tiny bit of growth, at least it's progress. Paul says in Philippians, and I am sure of this. I am sure of this. Paul is confident of what he's about to say. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One of my father's favorite songs is he's still working on me. He's still working on me. I'm not done yet. Don't count me out. Don't think I'm a finished product. God is still working on me. That should give us hope every day. That God is not finished with me yet. Then Paul moves to his, his next characteristic. He says, we are established in the faith. Established. That puts the two metaphors together, doesn't it? When, when you're grounded, you have a solid foundation, and you're being built up, you become established. You become ready, prepared for action, to do what you've been called to do. When you become established in the faith, I think what Paul is talking about here is two things. You become established in your own faith. In, in your personal faith and trust in Christ, you become confident. You're established. You're, you're situated. You're ready to do what you need to do. But also, in that establishment, you become established in, in the Christian faith as a whole. Because, see, when you're established in your faith with Christ, and you become more knowledgeable about him, you become deeper in your personal walk, you become a force to be reckoned with. You become able to accomplish your purpose. You don't try to occupy a house before it's been built, before it's been done. It's leaky. The wind can blow it. Um, we, over the past couple of years in, in, in building different structures of barns, you, you don't want to put anything in the barn until it's done. Why is that? Well, because it can fall over and destroy what's occupying. 
But as God has established us, he's rooted us in Christ, he's building us up in Christ, we are prepared for his purpose for us. And then Paul closes with this. Abounding in thanksgiving. Meaning, you're continually thankful. There's just gratitude flowing out of you. We talked about before the importance of thanksgiving in the Christian life. When you, when you look back at what God's done for us, that he's rooted us in Christ, that he's building us up, that he's caused us to be established, what is the proper response to that? An attitude of gratitude. We see what Christ has done for us and we're thankful. And you don't diminish what you're thankful for. You don't take it for granted. And the Christian always needs to be in a position of gratitude to God for what he's done. And that will percolate out into our lives to where we are people of joy and thanksgiving. Because when we have a right relationship with Christ, when we're rooted in the giver of life, when we're rooted in the creator of the universe, when we're rooted in the savior of all man, that changes who you are. That causes joy to flow from you. That causes gratitude to exude from your person. So here's the thing. That's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to have an attitude of gratitude. But it is something that we as Christians must fight for. Because when we're not fighting to be people of gratitude, we start to lose our grip on the precious promises that God has given us. We start to lose our grip on the wonderful works that God has performed for us. We start to lose sight of the redemption that we have in Christ, thinking, oh, this over here may be better. That ties back immediately to the false teaching that the Colossians were experiencing. Take your eyes off of Christ for just a minute and look at this over here because it may provide something for you that Jesus doesn't. When you lose the attitude of thanksgiving, you start to lose your grip on the promises and power of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word and how it teaches us, how it guides us. Lord, I pray that you would use the message this morning to influence all of our hearts or that we would be grateful for the things you've done for us. Lord, salvation, the work of Jesus, life and breath, and all your blessings. Father, I ask that you would be with those this morning who cannot be with us. Lord, fill their hearts with joy and thanksgiving. Oh, may we, may we at First Baptist Church Glasgow be a people who are known by our gratitude. I ask that you would do this to glorify yourself through us. Amen. We're in our time into in our time of